you can make an argument not to work with any client anywhere in the world because at some point they've done something bad or they were started by someone who did something bad 200 years ago or whatever. But actually the value of just having that conversation in the open and saying we are genuinely wrestling with this. We think on balance this is the right thing to do here and this on balance is the thing we shouldn't do over here. People respect that and see that and that's great for the organisation as a whole but also I think it's empowering for the leadership community because we're not expecting them to be perfect and they don't think they're being asked to walk on a pedestal. We're just asking for people to be open and honest and do the best they can. And that allows them to take some risks, which actually is hugely powerful within the business. Hi, I'm Belded Mankus. Welcome to The Purposeful Strategist. The podcast that shifts the conversation about purpose and strategy from what organizations should do to what business leaders are doing and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, I'll be joined by Richard Corduroy, Managing Director of the Oaken Group, a data and analytics business that helps organizations find the true value in their data. He shares with us the steps they're taking to protect the essence of who they are as they grow at 40 to 50% a year. He also discusses the challenges and joys of balancing the organization's vision and his own, and the way they're using external standards to cement change around their purpose. Richard, welcome to the Purposeful Strategist, and thank you for joining us. You're the managing director of the Oakland Group. I wonder if you could tell us a bit about yourself and about the Oakland Group and what it does. Yeah, sure. So the Oakland Group is a data consultancy. It works with a broad range of clients to solve business problems. And it's it's a pretty general management consultancy in that sense. But those problems all involve data, process and governance. And it's really those things coming together. That is the essence of our offering. And we are problem solvers. So our kind of quick line is, you know, ingenious solutions by brilliant people. Uh, I've been running it for about three years now. I've been here for about 10 years, so sort of fairly involved in the DNA and the business. My longer history, I started my career in the Royal Navy as a weapons and systems engineer. I've worked through consulting and financial services, but arrived at actually a smaller consultancy because I thought it was a real opportunity to make a difference and to start to perhaps shape it. And I've been very fortunate that I've been allowed to do that over the last few years. Your description of what you do, to me, sounded a little exciting, but slightly abstract. Could you give us an example of a type of thing you might do with a client? So the projects vary with a large water utility. We're helping them make more energy out of recycling sewage. So when you flush the loo, the sewage produces a cake at the end of it, which is the organic matter left. Most Water companies now will put that through a big biodigester and make electricity. Where that sewage comes from, how it's mixed, in what quantities is a big chemistry set. We build an engine that allows them to know which bits tanker in from where to get the most energy out of their solution. So that's a really practical one. At the other end of kind of our abstractness, we're working with a building society at the moment to help them understand their data transformation for the next three to five years. So what is it they actually, what value do they want to get out of data and how it's going to change their business? How are they actually going to organize the business to make the most of it? All the way down to what's the kit, what's the piping to actually make that happen. I'm so intrigued by both of those. I'd love to spend the rest of the interview just talking about them, but we won't. <laughs> um, 
So we're going to talk a bit about Oakland Group's purpose and strategy. But before we even get into that, when you think about organizational purpose, you know, how would you define it? How is it either the same or different to vision, mission? You know, where does it fit? I probably have two answers to that because at one level, a good consultant in me has quite a theoretical answer. For me, though, certainly within the context of Oakland, it's a bit more pragmatic than that. The purpose is something we can get the entire business and actually we can get our clients, the business and everyone in it behind and gives us a higher order meaning to life other than just turning up and earning a wage. One of the challenges of running a consulting business is what is it we do? We're not an environmental consultancy or we're not a social consultancy or we're not directly changing the lives of consumers. We adopt the challenges and the missions and the drive of our clients. And so how do you get a team energized about doing work for others, which ultimately does very different things, as I say, from building societies to waterworks to railways, the outputs are very different. So it's trying to find something that's authentic and real that actually the team can get behind and go, yeah, actually, that's a good umbrella that covers everything without it either being trite or just really inward looking or something kind of just about the people working in the business. Mm hmm. And do you think of purpose as fixed or does it change as circumstances change? A little bit of both. So I think actually Oakland has been running in one guise or another now for 37 plus years. And there is an essence of its DNA and what it's about and its core that has remained true throughout. So we are a relatively academic business, a bit of Yorkshire on us, we're relatively straight speaking. I've always been, though, I'd say very adult to adult and, and responsible and, and solid in terms of our customers. But how you articulate that and how you get that to resonate with the latest proposition or the things you're working on and, quite frankly, the changing nature of the workforce and what our customers look for, I think that's an ongoing journey. I don't think we will be articulating our purpose in quite the same way in two years' time as we are today. But I think you would see the essence and the lineage there that was pretty solid and true. Mm -hmm. So if you had to describe Oakland Group's purpose, what would you say it is? So right now, we would talk about inspiring clients to transform the world by achieving more with their data. So inspiring clients, works with any client, but actually inspirational is quite a high bar. What does it mean to actually walk into a client organization and for them to feel inspired as opposed to just serviced? Transform the world. Most of our clients do good things. You know, we need to travel. We need water. We need to be able to buy homes. And so let's get on board with their mission and actually understand with the client team how they help their big organization meet their mission. And often we tend to work with large organizations, often kind of, you know, the sub team in the X division in the Y corner may not themselves have lost sight a little bit of their role in their client's bigger picture. And so again, that's both helpful and inspiring equal measure. And of course, achieving more with data is the core essence of our proposition. So actually, you know, how do they organize it? How do they get more out of it? How do they know that it's sustainable and it's going to work? So if we can get those three things right, and we can understand those three things for every client, I think we're heading in a pretty good direction as a firm. And so how did you go about developing or defining that? Who got involved? How long did it take? Has it been that statement you went through? Has that been true and explicit for years? Is that fairly new? How did all that happen? I think it's like lots of change and evolution. It doesn't happen in a straight line. 
we pivoted the business and focused on data and kind of the, the what I was called the new offering 2018. So yeah, four or five years ago now. And I think we've been kind of building bits around, well, actually, we want to inspire our clients. Yes, we want to do good in the world. Sounds ridiculous, but we haven't managed to kind of quite put the words in a sentence that made sense and resonated with people. And we've tried and we've sweated it and we've had working titles and got the team involved. You know, it was one of those sort of at the end of the day, someone said, oh, well, how about this? And it came from one of the fellow directors who just put it together. And it was like, oh, yeah, that's it. I think what we had done in parallel to that, though, is not spend too long navel-gazing about purpose. Because I think, in essence, we went, well, we think we know our purpose, and actually we think we're acting our purpose, we're just perhaps not as good at articulating it as we might be. So that's the lesser of the evils in terms of you know, direction. But we did, fairly early on, cement a set of values in the business, which are effectively our second part of the guiding compass. And they cemented quite quickly. Perhaps they were a bit more tangible and a bit easier to get our arms around in terms of talking about those. And so we sort of broadly articulated the purpose, built the values actually quite crisply, and then re-articulated the purpose as that evolved. I couldn't tell from what you just took us through whether all that started in 2018 when you kind of made a strategic shift or whether... That happened in the space of a month? Uh, I think it probably happened over the last two and a half years. So I think in, in 2018, we made the strategic shift. We weren't thinking like this. It was just part of the DNA of the business. I think particularly over the last two years, we've had significant growth. We're growing at kind of 40 to 50% a year. You know, these are all nice problems to have, as people say. My fear isn't that we're going to grow or not grow. I think you know, that will happen. My fear is that in two years' time, we look back at what we've grown into and we don't like it anymore. And so it became quite urgent to try and capture this vision, these thoughts, and actually build some tram lines around it so that we can you know, make sure we're, we're happy when the roller coaster is heading in the right direction. And was there any sort of event or incident or meeting which you know it sort of crystallised for you and maybe for the other directors that we need to create these tram lines? Well, there's nothing like a deadline to force thinking. We have an annual event. We get the team together. We take them out for a couple of days. We do a mixture of you know, talking about direction and the business and, and change and have a fun bit on the back of it. The year before this is really where we cemented the values, even though they'd kind of been in draft for a lot longer. This year, we, we said we've got to do it again this year. And the thinking of that and actually building on the business planning building on the stuff we were going to do anyway, but how do you actually tell the story and build a compelling narrative around that really crystallized what has actually become the Oakland Manifesto. So we now have not only got a, a purpose and our values and kind of you know the building blocks, but we've tied that into a you know, 10 pages worth of word prose, but actually goes through in quite a lot of detail about what they mean and how they came about very intentionally recognising the people around the business that have contributed to it because it's enough to be a patchwork quilt of how these things come together, but also write it down and make it something a bit solid, again, back to the growth, so that as new people come on or people have just been in the business a few months, and so we currently have 70 people, 23 of them have been here less than six months. So you know, how do you take those people through? And you can't just do that in one shot. So you know, how do we build the foundations so that we can keep those people on board and bring them into the fold? And obviously we try and recruit into the fold but then you know show them that we're authentic and we mean it during their first six months year in, in the business 
You've a couple of times talked about involving other people besides yourself. You know, how did they get involved? Like mechanically, if I were watching a bit of video of them being involved, what would I be seeing? I think you'd see lots of coffee conversations. For me, it has been a series of one-to-ones, a series of bilaterals, and then slightly bigger groups to get people thinking about it, to test ideas. We have a brilliant marketing person who is actually very challenging and will kind of call out, well, that's just, that's just nonsense or it's just corporate speak. And so it's, it's bringing those people in who are both challenging and supportive, and there will never be, it's the people you surround yourself with. One of the things I'm aware of in this is the balance between it being the business's vision versus the leadership team's vision and you know largely those are the people engaged because largely they're the ones who've been around the longest and being my vision as the leader you do push and I push on many fronts but kind of how hard and how fast and how inclusive to be on this is something that I'm sure I'll look back in years to come and go did I get that quite right but you know broadly trying to have a central idea that is fairly strong and fairly coherent, but then getting people to involve and build on it and get it better. And actually, in the end, our purpose was coined you know, by someone completely different, which is fantastic from my point of view. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You sort of touched on this, I think, but just to make it explicit, did you do it all internally or did you reach out for some sort of external support on it? It's all been done internally. We very nearly reached out for some external support. We run a consulting business. You know, I think getting external support where you need it is a really good and sensible thing. We sort of got there on our own. And actually, I think the plan now, though, is to say, let's sit with what we've written and we've presented and we've got the team around for the next year. And we've always presented it as this is the current articulation. The essence is true, but how we talk about it will change as we change. And actually, I think later this year, early next, the plan is to get a a proper sort of audit from an organisation in who will A, see how well it's embedded in the current and particularly the new team and whether there's an opportunity to re-articulate it or tweak it to get it to to sing a bit better. Um, And so that mix will probably continue for the foreseeable future. It's an interesting idea there of having somebody come in to audit it. What sort of organisation would you look out to to do that for you? So there are a number of organisations out there who will do sort of marketing brand and brand proposition overviews. And broadly, you know, our proposition is what we're selling consistent with how we're acting as an organisation internally and how we're treating our people as individuals. So very much marketing led, but they will come in and do that end to end assessment. Oh, very good. Um, and what would you say your strategy is? Um, <laughs> so for us, Putting the purpose really is is the umbrella that informs all the bits of the strategy we're doing. And then the nature of us growing at the rate we are is kind of the overarching part of the strategy is a protecting the bit and the essence of the business that is really good. And actually, what does protecting mean? Um, is that codifying it? Is that actually just identifying that that is part of what we're about? But also recognizing that you know, we're basically rebuilding the plane whilst we're flying it. And, and what worked for an organization of 20 people won't work for 70 particularly well and certainly won't work for 120 in three years' time. So yeah, we have to accept that we are constantly rebuilding and reinventing ourselves. One of the ways of assessing that, though, is every change is being assessed through lenses. And we're trying to bring in the language of talking about what does this feel like from the customer perspective, what does this feel like from the organisational perspective, and what does this feel like as individuals? And being very explicit, not just on 
process-wise, what does that feel like? But what's the emotional change? For the first time ever this year, we've started using the word love quite a lot. You know, our customers should love this. People should love their work. People should be loving towards one another. And actually to articulate what good likes in terms of emotions provides a much stronger set of success criteria than yeah, we just need to be able to service 20 customers instead of 15 or whatever it is. And that seems to work and that seems to resonate and people buy into that. And actually, it's an interesting conversation because you then start to unpick, well, what does love really mean? You know, it's not just the soft emotion, it's love. It's it's an action. It's sometimes a bit challenging. It's sometimes great. It's sometimes fun. It's sometimes, you know, it's all those things. And it stops the purpose just being a tick box exercise or a sort of pseudo compliance exercise. Richard, I'd love to hear a bit more about how you got under this theme of love as sort of part of the, I won't say part of the strategy, though maybe it is, but certainly something you're talking a lot about. We realised there was a risk with both our values and our purpose that it became a bit of a compliance exercise. And particularly our values, you know, one of them is I'm passionate or I'm curious or you know, I'm technically excellent. It's like, yes, you know, person X was curious all year, tick. I failed to be curious five times a day. You know, all of these things are aspirational. And you're not going to get better unless you recognize that we strive and we fail and we strive again and we fail. And so we were talking about this and how to bring that to life. And the word love came out. And actually, you know, how that means you make clients feel. And what does love mean in a professional business relationship? Well, it's caring. It's adult to adult. What does that mean as an individual within the business? Well, it means you do love your job at least some of the time, and you accept that there's hard bits and bad bits around there. What does that mean with your peers? It means you have a bit of you know, old-fashioned moral courage if required to call out things that are good, but also call out things that are less good. And of course, at the heart of that is the organisation as a, an entity. Uh, and people sort of buy that open, particularly as it's been around a long time, is a, it's a sort of different entity to both the staff and the customers. And it's okay to do things for the business in addition to the other two. You know, this this word love, whether it's explicitly part of your strategy, you've said, you, you know, it's a word you're using more. For me, that brings in connotations of some sort of higher order. Was that deliberate? You know, how did that come about? Yeah, I think it is. It is deliberate. Um, it, it's partly a response that our values, if I'm honest, are a bit alpha. We're technically excellent, we're driven, we're passionate, and there was a need to provide some balance to that. But I think it does go further than that. As we've grown, we've gone from a very small business, which was mainly con sort of contractor-led in terms of how we delivered our work, to we now employ quite a few people and quite a few young people. And I think, well, everyone is looking for more than work than just a place to turn up and you know, earn your salary. Partly that's purpose, which is great and very driving, but also it's that purpose doesn't necessarily encompass how it feels like to come into work day to day and how it feels like to work with our clients and other people around you. And actually, very few people would say, well, I don't want it to be loving. There may be some embarrassed smiles, but actually underneath that, well, yeah, the essence of love, you know, the famous wedding verse of it's kind, it's gentle, it doesn't judge, all those sorts of things. Well, actually, yeah, that's a pretty nice place to be. So why don't we kind of personify that and bring that into kind of how we build ourselves? Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. And the way you sort of, I'll say, are going about developing your strategy, because it sounds like it's its not like, oh, we went into a room, we wrote down a bunch of stuff. It sounds almost like decision by decision, client by client, hire by hire, you're asking, is this true to our purpose? Also, does it make business sense, but is it true to our purpose? So if A, is that kind of how you're approaching 
thinking about your strategy or is there somewhere written down a document that says our strategy is we want to double the amount of revenue we've got in this sector and we need to open up an office somewhere else and so, so we absolutely have very you know relatively aggressive business strategy in the classic sense of the word with growth plans and additional expansion and offices and the like so there is a very kind of hard-nosed traditional business plan underpinning all of this but i don't see that as inconsistent with the purpose so we are ISO 9000, so we are ISO 27000, we're going down the route of B Corp, which we're treating effectively as a standard. So in addition to the purpose, which is our guiding light, and the values which kind of control how we get there, we're building the scaffolding of a business built in that image. And so our processes reflect that, our MI reflects that. So, you know, if you want your customers to love you, well, how often do you actually ask them whether they do or not? So these things that you know start off as an aspiration very quickly get built back into an increasingly sort of swept up process and, and management system that actually ensures we deliver on that process and then hence you need the love words to ensure that it isn't just one big process and there's a bit of human in there as well and that's the bit we're navigating and how did the development of that more formal written out strategy differ from the way you approach purpose or were they the same I think the strategy was more classically planned. So we, you know, we took ourselves away. We decided which, where our proposition was going. We tested that. We have run pilots. We have, you know, done experiments in the marketplace. We start with the top line numbers and then work out what organization you need to support and facilitate that in numbers and structures and everything else. So that has happened in a fairly classic way. Um, and you know, partly that's what you know, part of what we do in our consultancy is help organisations go through that journey. Where the purpose has overlaid into that is when we have made choices in terms of style or choices in terms of degrees that we're going to go somewhere. So you know, the amount of training we give people, the amount of healthcare provision, well-being. You know, there is a kind of minimum legal requirement there is probably the minimum you can get away with in the marketplace to be able to recruit and retain staff and then there's what you'd aspire to do if you had a free hand and our purpose does help us perhaps challenge ourselves of are we you know which of those bases are we on of course done in a way that is sustainable and affordable you know we ultimately have to pay the bills and we want to be here next year but it helps in those judgments in a way that if it wasn't there you might opt for yeah, you know, a less rich sea approach or something similar, which ultimately made more money, but perhaps didn't quite sit with what we were trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. The current strategy that you've got, when was that, you know, sort of developed? When was that like, okay, now that's the strategy? So I think it's a two-part process. So we realized 2017-18 that the previous incarnation of Oakland was missing an opportunity. And that opportunity was around data and kind of the new world. And so there was quite an intentional process to test our options around that, what we'd have to believe for them to be true and effectively run some pilots on, oh, so there is a market out there and we can talk to people about it. There was then a period following that, you know, once we said, actually, let's go for it, of a couple of years of finding our way and realizing how much we didn't know, quite frankly, and then getting ourselves up the learning curve. And then I think, you know, last year, as we sort of, pandemic started to abate we realized that actually we do have this place in time where we have those three things coming together and so what does our kind of fully lent into strategy look like in terms of choosing to perhaps take some few more risks and lean into growth harder and that's the phase we're in at the moment and certainly that will carry us through for the next three to five years in reality we will review that so that plan every year 
and tweak its course and direction. But I think the path is broadly set. Mm-hmm. And as you've sort of been on this journey, what's surprised you most? I, th- I think a few things. Firstly, that the amount of which this is both a business journey and a personal journey. And I wasn't expecting it to be a personal journey at the start. Um, you know, it's the first time I've been a, you know, a managing director. What does that mean? And how do you find your place in the organisation in the world? And this journey has definitely helped that. And I think yeah, that, that's worked both ways. Um, I think the other part of this journey is essentially how easy it's been. And I, and I don't know if this is always true, but I think if you find the purpose and the values and kind of a language that is true to the core of your business and say we've been around a long time, so largely the machine was there, then people have been incredibly supportive and it hasn't felt like a challenge or a push. And actually even people within the organisation who I thought would be much more sceptical and perhaps you know have a different outlook actually to a person everyone has been supportive and enthusiastic and and I've been surprised well I expected more resistance and I think that's not because we've done anything particularly clever in terms of change it's just we've found something that genuinely represents what the business has always been about Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and what's been the most difficult part I think the difficult part for me has been Occasionally, when I have allowed myself to think that I'm the one holding this together, um, and you know, I probably do think about it more than my other colleagues. That's the nature of my job. But there's a real dangerous moment when you think, you know, if I wasn't here, this would all fall apart, and therefore it, it becomes very stressful. And actually, as you work through that, and you realise, well, actually, success here is that if I vanish tomorrow, this will freewheel and build and get better without me anyway realizing I had to move from base A to best B was probably the most difficult transition that we've been through. And did you kind of come to the realization that, you know, the way you were thinking about it might not be entirely positive? Did you come to that realization yourself or was there something external that that led you to think, ooh? Uh, it's having people around you who gently call you out, you know, one or two people who I respect immensely just very gently went, yeah, just holding on a little bit tight there. And it didn't take much, but you take the step back and you probably spend the weekend and think, yeah, actually, I probably am. And so, you know, again, that early intervention, we haven't bent ourselves out of shape, you know, nothing bad has happened, but I think it's averted something that could have been quite bad in a year, 18 months time. Mm-hmm. What's the impact of the journey been on both your leadership team and the organisation as a whole? I think it has been enormously positive and surprisingly so. You know, people enjoy being part of an organisation that is authentic about what it's trying to do. And consulting traditionally isn't like that as a business. Some are, but general management consultancies aren't always. And so I think people have been surprised that, A, we're clear on what we want to be, but actually we're authentic and we are those things. And we bring into the light whenever we struggle with it so one of our values is about being principled and i love it because you know who says what principled is in one sense it's a complete minefield you know and actually if you really went for it you could make an argument not to work with any client anywhere in the world because at some point they've done something bad or they were started by someone who did something bad 200 years ago or whatever but actually the value of just having that conversation in the open and so we are genuinely wrestling with this we think on balance this is the right thing to do here and this on balance is the thing we shouldn't do over here People respect that and see that, and that's great for the organisation as a whole, but also I think it's empowering for the leadership community because we're not expecting them to be perfect and they don't think they're being asked to walk on a pedestal. We're just asking for people to be 
open and honest and do the best they can. And that allows them to take some risks, which actually is hugely powerful within the business. Yeah, I like that connection there between purpose and being willing to take risks. I think that's really powerful. How have you personally been changed in the process? What have you learned along the way in addition to the sort of kind of you needed to let go of it a little bit? I have found it immensely satisfying to, you know, move my personal compass from someone who is just going to work and, and earning a wage and, and doing a good life with it, probably, to someone who is part of this organism that's now kind of taking charge of this for itself. I don't think my journey is any different perhaps to anyone else's in the business, but actually it's a good journey for me as well. Yeah. And when you reflect on who you are as a person sort of in the round, is there more you'd like to have in either your strategy or your purpose? No, I think I'm hugely privileged at the moment that I'm in a place where my kind of personal compass and what's important to me is aligned to the business and the organization's compass in terms of strategy and kind of how it's functioning. That is an enormous privilege. Moving forward, it's about how do you curate that likely to keep my compass and the business compass kind of moving in the same direction, allowing other people to influence both, but keeping them close enough together that it remains authentic. And that's the challenge for the next few years. As you've articulated that, it sounds to me like that's a challenge that many leaders face, but also many people in businesses. You know, if they're alive at all to the question of what's my personal purpose and what's my organizational purpose, they're trying to keep those not perfectly aligned, but aligned enough. I think that's one of the organizational challenges that many employees face at this stage. It's definitely true. And I've worked in big banks and, you know, where you are you know, a small cog in a big machine and consulting sometimes can feel like that as well. I think one of the things that has been most surprising for me is the degree to which our clients have really engaged with this. A good example is we, you know, sometimes wrestle with what do we do with very junior consultants? There's the stereotype consulting firm that turns up with, you know, some people who've been around a bit and then here's the sea of grads who, you know, come and do the work and what do they really know? And uh, we've never really done that. We've always resisted that because we don't think, you know, what value can they add? But actually, when you have a conversation with a client saying, you know, part of our business is to facilitate and equip the next generation and we're really investing in young people because we think it's important and, 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 and it aligns to what we're about. It's amazing when what would otherwise have been very hard-nosed commercial conversations around how much can you charge me for that? Why would I pay it? To, oh, I get what you're doing. And actually, amazingly you know, big, fairly hard-nosed corporates get behind that and they think that's a good thing. And so I suppose my aspiration for this is, you know, how do we avoid this becoming something we just do within Oakland for ourselves, which makes us feel really good? And actually the real benefit of the work we do is we help our clients transform the world. And wouldn't it be good if we helped our immediate clients, the individuals we work with, transform how they see their lives in the world as well? And that would be great. What advice, if any, would you give to a business leader who's wrestling with their own organization's purpose and how to connect it with their strategy? Uh, it, it is keep you know plugging away. I don't believe it is something you can do in an afternoon or in a workshop and it will be solved. Uh, I think there is a balancing act that always needs, particularly if you've got an established business, of well, what genuinely, you know, if we cut away all of the fluff and all the things we'd like it to be, what is the purpose today? How would we articulate it? And what is a sensible evolution in that? I'm less keen on the moonshot, and that works for some, I know. But actually, 
you know, how can we, in a fairly grounded way, move from where we are to where we want to be? And then, okay, yes, let's build the, the strategy, the organization, the operational models, the financials, the legals, everything else that actually makes that happen. That seems to be, you know, particularly if your business is heading in broadly the right direction already, an approach that's worked for us. Mm-hmm. What haven't we talked about that we might want to touch on? Um, I, I think the only bit perhaps to expand on is the degree to which we are using some external standards to cement in the changes around our business. So we are investing in becoming a B Corp and that broadly you know, brings out a set of parameters around how we treat workers, how we treat our customers, the community, the environment and how we govern ourselves. And that has been very helpful in terms of our overall operating model just to provide some signposts and some edges that we kind of have to work within. And we're used to working within a process and a sort of fairly organized business model. That's cut out, quite frankly, a lot of the noise because B Corp have done a lot of the thinking. And so, you know, there's a danger that becomes a tick box exercise and, you know, off we go and we'll avoid that. But at the moment, that is providing a powerful guiding light on, you know, things like what should our articles association say and where do we codify that we're more than just about making money what does that mean for society? What does that mean in the context of a consulting business, et cetera, et cetera. So it's been very useful for us. And I would certainly you know, encourage others to look at that or similar schemes out there. Where did that decision to become a B Corp come from? Did it flow out of the conversations around purpose or an explicit part of your strategy or just kind of emerge a little more organically? I think, you know, as, as, as much of this has, it has emerged organically. When we were coining our values fairly early on, one of the questions was, well, you know, how will we know if we're living these things? How will we know if we're good? How do you measure them? It was suggested that why don't we get an external standards to help, you know, provide that measurement and that, that look at how we're doing. And, you know, it didn't take long to find people. Mm-hmm. Very good. Well, Richard, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for sharing both your own journey as well as the Oakland journey. Very helpful, very insightful. Cool. Thank you very much. Thank you for joining us for this episode of The Purposeful Strategist. Please email any questions or suggestions to belden at mancus.com. In addition to being available on our website, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you enjoyed this episode, we release a new episode weekly. Don't forget to subscribe. Thanks again, and join us soon for the next episode of The Purposeful Strategist.